Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Bastards, the show where we tell you everything you don't know about the very worst people in all of history. I'm Robert Evans. My guests this week (laughs) are Molly Lambert and Tess Lynch from the wonderful podcast Night Call. Uh, They're also writers and people about townises, Golden Gloves boxers, I think we settled on. Just more accomplished people than me is what's important for you to know for your purposes. And this week, we are talking about... Someone who might be controversial on this podcast. Um, so I, I want to lead in here before we introduce the subject by talking about my methodology, because we're about a dozen episodes or so in so far. The focus on this podcast has always been the worst people in history, which I define as the shittiest 1% of human beings who have ever lived. Now, there's about 107 billion people in the total estimated human population, which gives us a big pool to draw from, which is how I can internally justify covering Adolf Hitler one week and Harvey Weinstein the next, even though they're not, you know, quite on the same spectrum of of awful. Um, So our next subject today hasn't killed anybody. She didn't cause a genocide. She's not a mass rapist. I still think I can justify putting her in that top 1%, although she's probably near the bottom of that 1%. Have y'all ever heard of a lady named Joan Quigley? No. Sounds familiar, but I don't know why. I thought you were going to say like Margaret Thatcher. No, because she's got blood on her Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, she's not. (laughs) Once you said in the bottom of the 1%, I was like. There's totally a Margaret Thatcher episode, but she's more in the (laughs) middle, right? (laughs) She's she's up there. Joan Quigley. Joan Quigley. Now, Joan Quigley does have a little bit of a connection to Margaret Thatcher, because Joan Quigley has a very deep connection to Ronald Reagan, because Mm -hmm. Joan Quigley was Ronald Reagan's astrologer. Really? Yep. 
Oh, oh this sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> okay. can't wait. We're in. Uh, so I, uh, we, we're talking about her today because I read her book and it made me really hate her. And I don't know, some people may disagree that she's terrible. Uh, so we'll get into that too. Part of this podcast will be y'all telling me if I'm a crazy person, judging her unfairly, or if you guys think she's awful too. Um, but regardless of what we conclude, I've named this episode Joan Quigley, History's Greatest Monster. So um, let's dive into it. Joan Cecile Quigley was born in Kansas City, Missouri on April 10th, 1927 at 4.17 p.m. That time is critical because if you don't know the exact minute of someone's birth, you can't properly cast their horoscope. This is something I learned by reading 400 pages of Joan Quigley explain astrology to me. You read the whole thing. Oh, yeah. No, I have, of course. She a good writer? No. Oh. She's not. I'll, I'll give it in fairness. She's not like bad. Like it's not. I'm not. I was never distracted by the writing quality okay. of the book. How like, did you decide to read that? I realized that Ronald Reagan's astrologer had written a book, and then I bought it. How did you find out Ronald Reagan had an astrologer? I was drunk and browsing the internet at some point, and like I came across some little listicle article talking about like wacky facts about U.S. presidents. I think that's, I remember that she was also an astrologer to several other notable people. Was she an astrologer to the stars? Yes. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah, I know. I know a little bit, but I don't know enough. Keep telling us. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So Joan's father, John, was a former lawyer who moved to San Francisco and bought a fancy hotel. Uh, His wife is named Zelda, which is like, if you know the 1920s, that's like the name to have if you're a rich lady. It's like that's Zelda. It's like Jackson is today. Jackson? Is everybody with an called X. Jackson? You mean oh, so many good Jacksons God. with an yeah, X and, yeah. or just Jack. Like they're Jackson all Vanderbilt club Bulls? promoters. Yep. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. Uh yeah, so he and his wife Zelda raised their daughters as high society ladies. They had a penthouse on Knob Hill in San Francisco and went to a private school. The Quigley girls as they were known had chauffeurs to take them to school parties, generally in Rolls Royces. Uh, in her obituary, the Los Angeles Times said that she had, quote, come from the creme de la creme of San Francisco gentility, and her fancy rich lady bona fides would prove critical in earning her Nancy Reagan's trust. Uh, Joan went to Vassar. She got a degree in art history. Her mom was apparently an astrology nerd, and that's where Joan caught the bug. She spent a year as a secret apprentice to a soothsayer named Jerome Pearson. Her dad hated astrology, and so she had to hide her chart making and star watching while publicly doing normal aristocratic stuff like whatever the junior league is. I don't know what the junior league is. Probably you dance with people. Dance with other rich people. Like cotillions, but with a sportier sounding name. Yeah, that's my guess. Uh, yeah. Cotillion is the only word that came into my mind when yeah. I read junior league. I don't even know what one is. It's a club for rich people to socialize. I wonder if it's probably. only women. Like, the picture in my head is that scene from Gone with the Wind where the lady in the big dress descends the staircase. Yeah, yeah. it's something yeah. rich people do so they can hang out and wear fancy clothes. Where and you have to wear a bustle. And yeah. it's probably kind of racist. Oh, definitely. Like, There's no 100%. question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So once Joan is out of college in junior league or whatever and moves out of her dad's house, she starts writing an astrology column for Seventeen magazine, which I didn't realize went back that far. What And what year is this? Like the 40s? Yeah, this is in like the 40s. 17 um, was back in the 40s. Yeah, yeah. Because they had just invented teenagers. Right. Yeah. They were like, now they need a magazine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. people are living past 12. I guess we got <laughs> to figure everything out. Uh, her gig at 17 didn't last long, though, because she didn't like writing horoscopes for tabloids. She wanted to read the stars of the rich and famous and was kind of disgusted by the idea that poor people might use astrology. I should ask at this point, are either of y'all into astrology? 
I mean, tangentially, we've done a couple of night calls where we talked about astrology a bunch and Mm -hmm. uh, sort of why it's interesting whether you believe in it or not. I personally do not believe in it, but I've also said it's probably because I'm a Virgo and it's the boringest thing. And I love Virgos, and I specifically aimed for a Virgo with one of my kids. Got locked down that Virgo. Very pleased. How do you aim for that? You know, calculate calculate the nine. Well, it's really more like ten. Oh. Yeah. What do you think about astrology? I'm not into astrology, but I like a good friend of mine from back home in Texas who's like an accountant is yeah. really into astrology. She's one of the most grounded people I know. So I don't I think have it's an like, issue with it. Well, what's your sign? It's entertaining. If I may. Well, I don't I don't know. What's your birthday? March. March what? 22nd. I think you're a Pisces. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I have no a true way astrology to know. nerd would know. I know, but okay. I'm you know we talked about this on night call. It. It's like even though I don't believe in or like astrology, especially if you live in Los Angeles, you meet a lot of people that maybe are into astrology. There's also a thing I don't like where people are sort of like misogynistic about like oh women are so dumb they believe in astrology. Plenty of men believe in astrology. But yeah, there's plenty of dumb men who believe in astrology. <laughs> there's plenty of dumb men who believe in it, like trickle down economics. That's what I'm saying. I think it's like it's like sports or something. It's just like a thing to keep life more entertaining than it is i'll tell you i believe in it way more than i believe in chakras when people get their auras read and i'm just like wow they took you for a fool because astrology you can you know entertain yourself with for free so it can't actually be that yeah i think what we've decided is as soon as you're spending money on it then it's a scam yeah yeah and that's kind of how i feel about it like i don't have any issue and i i I, like I, i tried to as i edited this podcast make sure that i was not uh just attacking just people for liking hater? astrology because no. I don't have like it's whatever you get to get, get, get through the day. I've I've been superstitious about stuff when I've been in whatever when you need it sometimes. Yeah. It's I think life. Anything you're into, if you're doing it for Ronald Reagan, you're on the wrong side of Amen. history. Well, yeah. that may be one, and, I, and I'm also I'm trying to be fair to the Reagans in this, although I'm not a Why? Ronald Reagan fan. Don't be fair to the Reagans. You do a history a podcast about history's greatest monsters. Oh, and we're gonna cover. <laughs> we're gonna hit on the Reagans on this, but I think they're. I think they're victims of Joan Quigley in this. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Like, Maybe you we can... like Joan Quigley now. Yeah. Right. She's, who scams the scammers. Yeah. This is a complicated one. If it was just one other person sitting here, that wouldn't, that wouldn't. But two other people, we I feel like we can, yeah. we can make the historical judgment. I think, I didn't finish school, so I don't know how historians make judgments, but I think this is it. I'm absolutely positive that yeah. this is exactly how it should be done. Fantastic. Okay, so Joan didn't like doing horoscopes for poor people. Uh, and didn't like doing horoscopes for anyone who could just afford to buy a magazine. Her obituary in The Economist notes that, quote, she did not make forecasts or cast up horoscopes for ordinary people, only for corporate figures, celebrities, and those who guided the destinies of nations. I wish The Economist was exaggerating about that, but the sad truth is that Joan Quigley was probably the most influential astrologer of the 20th century. Um, Now, Donald Reagan was Ronald Reagan's Treasury Secretary starting in 1981 and the White House Chief of Staff from 1985 to 87. And it's real funny that Donald Reagan worked so closely with Ronald Reagan. Were they They, related? No, their last names are spelled differently. What? Donald Reagan is R-E-G-A-N. There's a Donald Reagan? (laughs) Yeah. Donald Reagan. I'm going to call him Donald. Yeah, I should call him Donald Reagan. It's still... Yeah. Still confusing. So, yeah, Donald Reagan was the chief of staff, which is like, that's a big job. That was Steve Bannon's job until like a year ago now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. So Donald Reagan was the White House chief of staff from 85 to 87. He was a big trickle-down economics guy. He was very important to the administration, but he was forced to resign in 1987 because he couldn't protect the president from the fallout of the Iran-Contra affair. So in 1988, he published a memoir called For the Record, where he revealed to the world the White House's, quote, most closely guarded secret. 
No, not Ronald Reagan's growing senility. Not the fact that we'd been selling missiles to Iran. Uh, Joan Quigley. This is a quote from Donald Reagan. Virtually every major move and decision the Reagans made during my time as White House Chief of Staff was cleared in advance with a woman in San Francisco who drew up horoscopes to make certain that the planets were in favorable alignment for the enterprise. He continued, Would that there had been some other explanation, but there wasn't. Astrology was it. It was a daily, sometimes hourly factor in every decision affecting the president's schedule. What? What? I didn't know anything <laughs> I, about this. I yeah. didn't know the depth of this. Was she like living at the White House or was she just, was he calling she her all the time? She did it all, all from San Francisco. It was Nancy who would call. Um, wow. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into a little bit about how it worked. But yeah, like she notes a number of times in her memoir and Donald Regan backs it up. She had absolute control of her when Air Force One took off and landed. <gasps> She could make it circle in the sky if she wanted it to land at a different time because the stars said that was better. Well, hey, she went to Vassar. She had her art history degree. She yeah. obviously knew a thing or two. You yeah, know. yeah. No, the, and, and Vassar is famous for its Air Force. Ex- that's what I'm one, thinking. Like, that's the a military undergraduate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Strategy. She sounds like a nightmare, but also I'm like, wow, I didn't know the Reagans had like a Rasputin. Yeah, it's very Rasputin-like. They did. Like, it, like it, a it, lady Rasputin. So I'm also, maybe I like respect her as a history's scammer if Joan Quigley had moved to DC and been fucking all of I guess the husbands in DC of all of the powerful government people like Rasputin did to the ladies in the noble court in Russia this would be a very different podcast <laughs> uh, in fact yeah. she had to do so much less work she yeah I know to... she, working remotely you know yeah. can't be uh, understated mm-hmm. how great that draw is. up the stars yeah yeah and she was not shot and drowned in the Volga which is spoiler Sorry. But you probably should have been. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the worst thing. So far, I'm not really hating this lady, but let's keep going. Let's let's get into it a little bit. Uh, so Donald notes that uh, nobody other than some people very close to the president knew about this relationship, including his Secret Service detail. Uh, he even sort of mentions that he thinks they'd be kind of pissed to realize that uh, – after all their years of carefully guarding the president, like Nancy had been talking about his moves ahead of time with this astrologer over an unsecured phone line. Uh, he said, quote, surely they would think that posed a security risk, which it did, and that'll be a thing later. Um, it actually kind of led to a grand Soviet-U.S. astrology duel. Um, <laughs> but that's a that's a moment for, I'm yeah, that, that's for later in the podcast. The I'm getting ahead of myself. Race. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when Mr. Regan dropped the truth about President Reagan's astrologer, it hit Capitol Hill like a bomb. The story sort of faded to just a general political fable now. Like, I think most people vaguely hear that the Reagans were into astrology, but they don't know much about it. But at the time, it was as huge a story as it would be now. Although now it would only be a story for a day and a half at best. Uh, maybe not even that. So Nancy Reagan insisted that it hadn't been a big deal. Uh, She claimed that her use of Joan had just been a silly affectation, nothing serious. This made Joan very angry. In her mind, not only had she not hurt the Reagans, her astrology had been the secret power behind the throne. So Joan decided to write a memoir of her own, and on March 1st, 1990, she published What Does Joan Say? My Seven Years as White House Astrologer to Nancy and Ronald Reagan. This is the book that I read for this podcast. What does Joan say? What does Joan say? How long was this book? About 300-something pages. Wow. She had a lot to say. She yeah. had a lot to say. Uh, I don't think it sold well. Um, I wound up having to order a very old hardcover copy of it that had never been opened. Uh, there's no Kindle edition of it, so I had to underline the words the old-fashioned way. It was terrible taking notes on books before Kindle. Strenuous. Yeah. Anyway, Joan made me work because her book wasn't a success, and I may hate her for that. Um <laughs> 
She opens her memoir by saying, this is a book I never thought I would write, which I think is a lie, because she published it really quickly after Nancy Reagan's memoir. Joan claims that when Donald Reagan spilled the beans on her existence, quote, I rejected all suggestions that I document my Reagan years. I said as little as possible to the media. I tried above all to keep from damaging the president I had admired and served for seven years with total dedication. But then she claims that Nancy Reagan's memoir, My Turn, forced her to reconsider. Uh, She said it reads like fiction and much of it is evasive. That is the beginning of what would become several hundred pages of throwing shade at Nancy Reagan. To my eyes, Joan's memoir serves two purposes. Number one, to allow her to take credit for every achievement of the Reagan era. And number two, to shit on Nancy Reagan. Now, I know at this point you might be wondering how credible is this lady, and obviously she's uh, an unreliable narrator, but multiple people do back up the fact that she not only advised the president, she was actually the arbiter of his schedule. Donald Regan, who was again chief of staff and would know, admitted in his memoirs that Joan had total control over when Air Force One took off and landed. He wrote that he, or in this case she, who controls the president's schedule, controls the workings of the presidency, which seems accurate. In his book, The Acting President, CBS correspondent Bob Schieffer related a story that also backs up Joan's importance. This is Bob Schieffer. The only real hitch the campaign team had to deal with during those weeks of planning in the fall of 1983 was a conflict over when the president should formally declare his candidacy. Lee Atwater, in particular, wanted it done right away, but he was repeatedly told that Miss Reagan did not feel the time for that announcement was propitious? I think it's propitious. Propitious. Thank you. Uh, That baffled him, and when he finally continued to press for an explanation, Michael Deaver took him aside and disclosed that Nancy's reluctance was based on an astrologer's warning. So there's a a number of people you can find stories of saying that, like, yeah, we had to change the time at the last minute, or we had to do something at, like, midnight or three in the morning or whatever, and when they would trace it back, it would be because Nancy Reagan said, no, he can't go out at that hour. Like, he has to go out now, or he has to do this now. Was this because Joan was insinuating that he would be assassinated if he— Okay. Bingo. Spoiler. Sorry. No, no, no. This yeah. is this is like immediately the next paragraph. Okay. So no, you 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 landed on it. So I'm going to get into how this weird little relationship started. It kicked off in the 1970s because Joan was on the Merv Griffin show. Um, Merv Griffin was I don't know. It'd be fair to call him like a late night host, right? Yeah. Like Jimmy Fallon of his era, but probably more talented. Yeah. Um, unless I'm sorry if there's Jimmy Fallon fans out there. Nah. I mean he's history's greatest monster but. yeah at this point <laughs> yeah yes. uh but yeah merv griffin you know was one of those really connected people so he liked joan quigley and she did his astrology a bunch uh and he also knew an actress named nancy reagan and he knew her back when she was an actress and her husband was an actor and then he continued to know them after her husband became the governor of california uh merv knew that nancy believed in astrology joan claims he asked if he could give her uh number to nancy and she said yes uh, this is from Joan. The first time Nancy consulted me mostly about personal problems, she had given me her exact birth time, so doing her horoscope was easy. I remember I described to her in detail the matter that she intended asking me about before she asked it. From the beginning, my accuracy impressed her. So Joan did her work on Nancy, and Nancy was astonished at you know how well it worked or whatever. And, and so they had a little relationship going on for a while. Uh, the Reagans had always been superstitious. In 1967, when Ronnie was inaugurated uh, as governor, uh, his inauguration was scheduled for 12:10 a.m. in the morning, at the advice of a different astrologer. Mm-hmm. So like this has been a thing in their life for a while. 
1980, Ronald Reagan ran for president and won. In her memoir, Nancy claims that Joan volunteered her services, which just amounted to a few phone calls and advice on when to time certain events. Joan, however, claims that she advised the Reagans extensively, particularly during then-candidate Reagan's first presidential debate with a guy named John Anderson. Uh, Anderson has been forgotten and buried in history, as we all will be someday, but he was Ronald Reagan's opponent in his first debate, and this was important because Ronald Reagan was a very old presidential candidate. No one had ever been... 69 and running for president before. So it was important that he look good and not seem old. Joan took great care in timing their debate. Uh, She also claims that she warned Nancy that the stars had told her that someone was going to tamper with Ronald Reagan's microphone. And apparently, according to Joan, Nancy found that the microphone had been tampered with and turned down. And Joan says that if Ronald had used the microphone without fixing it, he would have sounded weak and therefore old. What? (laughs) It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of age shaming to say that that weakness and age are correlated, but I I guess she's not necessarily wrong. I mean, we also saw how that can be wielded very powerfully uh, in a presidential campaign, weakness and age and, you know, fallibility. (sighs) Yeah. Like that's that. This is one of the ones where I want to like attack her, but she may not be wrong about it. Right? That. I kind of yeah. think she's But also, right. like, what if the mic wasn't turned down and they just turned his mic up, you know? So he was louder than the other Smart guy. move. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's still a smart move. <laughs> yeah. And and this is, Nancy doesn't say anything about this, um, so I don't, it, it's, we kind of have to take Joan's word that this microphone thing happened. Uh, she does, however, take credit for Ronald winning his debate against Carter. Or rather, she says, I cannot claim any credit for his winning the Carter debate. However, I was definitely responsible for Carter's losing that crucial contest because she claims she picked a, an astrological time that made it impossible for uh, Carter to win. This is sort of the inauguration of her taking credit for everything that happens during this time. Uh, so Ronald Reagan was elected, and Joan stopped hearing from Nancy Reagan because at this point, you know, Ronald Reagan's the president, and all the president's advisors are saying, "Don't associate with astrologers. That's going to end badly for us politically." Mm-hmm. If you know, we're people find out that you're consulting an astrologer on things, it's just not going to be good. Uh, but then on March 30th, 1981, some guy shot President Reagan in a vital area, his body. President Reagan nearly died. Um, I don't really like Nancy Reagan particularly her involvement in the war on drugs. But one thing you can say for her and her husband is that they were very much in love by the reports of everybody who knew the two of them. The assassination attempt sort of broke Nancy Reagan. Uh, Most people would turn to something comforting, either drugs or God or drugs made out of God after that kind of shock. Nancy turned to astrology. So this is where we get into the thing that I think makes Joan kind of a monster. Uh, And so we're going to delve into that. But first, do you guys like products and services who doesn't oh we love them oh man and currency oh yeah throw it at us well we're gonna sell some things to you for you to spend your currency on ad break the evidence keeps pouring in at this point the facts are undeniable it's an open and shut case monopoly go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game millions of people pass go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. 
The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we're back. Uh, so this has been a long opening. So far, nothing bastardy inherently about what Joan Quigley's done. She's just been doing astrology for people who like having astrology done. You know, whatever. It's fine. We're getting to where I think she does something awful. So Ronald Reagan is shot on March 30th, 1981. Nancy Reagan freaks out in exactly the same way anyone whose spouse gets almost assassinated would freak out. Uh, now... Both Nancy Reagan, because I read Nancy's memoir too, or at least the chunk that deals with this, both Nancy Reagan and Joan agree that the aftermath of President Reagan getting shot is when their working relationship in the White House started, okay? They both have a different recollection of how that happened. So I'm going to read excerpts from both Joan's memoir and Nancy's memoir, and y'all can tell me which seems more credible to you, all right? So I'm going to start with Joan. This is going to be awkward here. Okay. This is what she said that day. I remember it verbatim. First she asked, could you have told about the assassination attempt? Yes, of course I could had I been looking. However, I haven't been following your charts or tracking the mundane material for Washington. I'm sorry. Had I been looking, I would have warned you. She then said, and she's, this is Nancy talking to her, I'm getting terrible press. It's so unfair. I'm really a very nice person. Can you tell me what to do? I'm willing to pay you. So in Joan's version of events... Nancy Reagan asks, could you have predicted my husband's assassination attempt? And then immediately asks after that, can you make me popular? 
All right? So that's Joan's recollection. Uh, here's Nancy Reagan in her memoir, My Turn, and now it is her turn. That joke didn't, wasn't even a joke. <laughs> I, I said it, and you can't take it back. Here's Nancy Reagan. I remember, as if it were yesterday, my reaction to what Merv told me on the phone, Merv Griffin. He had talked to Joan, who had said that she could have warned me about March 30th. According to Merv, Joan had said the president should have stayed home. I could see from my charts that this was going to be a dangerous day for him. Oh my God, I remember telling Merv. I could have stopped it. I hung up the phone, picked it up again, and called Joan. Merv tells me you knew about March 30th, I said. Yes, she replied. I could see it was a very bad day for the president. I'm so scared, I told her. I'm scared every time he leaves the house, and I don't think I can breathe until he gets home. I cringe every time we step out of a car or leave a building. I'm afraid that one of these days somebody is going to shoot at him again. So, what do you guys, who do you guys think is credible here? Which story do you believe? I mean, so, so Joan is basically like, I wasn't looking. Yeah. So I don't know. So I didn't know ahead of time. Right. And then Nancy kind of comes back at her being like, well, I'd like you to sign on for my own purposes to give me better publicity, you know, to kind yeah, of yeah. milk the stars, if you will. For and try to get, stop my husband from getting shot again. Meanwhile, they're like, equally as a important. Side note, yeah. Um, and then Nancy's like, she just wants to protect her husband. She'll do anything. Joan saw it coming, reached out via Merv. Exactly. It, I find Nancy's more credible. And if... It depends on how much money Joan was making, I think. If Joan needed the income from Nancy Reagan, then I kind of believe in her reaching out. But if she was really doing fine, it sounds like maybe she had a trust fund, I don't really know why she would, especially because even though I do like astrology, I wouldn't put any stock in it. It seems like a big risk for her to take, you know? I think, and I get the feeling from the memoir and from the stuff we're going to get into, I think Joan wanted to feel close to power. Yeah, I think that's what it is, is Joan wanted to be influential. She wanted to use her powers yeah. to direct the, the progress of history. And what I think is, if, if, if Nancy Reagan's version of things is true, and Merv Griffin didn't counter her, at least, when she, when she recalled this, then this lady reached out to Merv because he knew that Merv was going to talk to Nancy. Right. Joan reached out to Merv and said, oh, I predicted what happened to President Reagan. I saw it coming. Um, in which case, so in which case one of two things is true. Either astrology does work and this lady legitimately saw that President Reagan was in mortal danger, had the first lady's phone number and didn't reach out and call her, or astrology doesn't work that way. Uh, and Joan just lied to Merv Griffin because she knew Nancy would hear from him. Wasn't she just saying I could have predicted it if you had had me on on the job already? That's what her memoir, that's what Joan says in her memoir. Nancy's like saying that Joan called Merv Griffin and was like, I could have stopped it. Yeah, according to what Merv said to Nancy Reagan, Joan told Merv, the president should have stayed home. I could see from my charts that this was going to be a dangerous day for him. I'm going to go ahead and believe Joan. Yeah, me too. Because Really? Yes, because I think that it's way more credible that she would say, I wasn't looking. If I had been, yeah. then I could have predicted it. Because why would, you know, yeah, I, I think that that's way more likely. Because well, if she had known, she would have also tried to reach out because she... Because it would have achieved the same purpose. Yeah. But, okay, what, the reason I believe Nancy's account is because they both admit that Nancy stops calling Joan after Ronald wins the presidency. But and after the assassination attempt, wouldn't you think that Nancy would kind of start reaching out? But 
I think Nancy would start reaching out if one of her friends says, this astrologer tells me she predicted I think Nancy was probably just looking for clues. She was admittedly in freakout mode. She was admittedly in freakout mode, but it also, she she's presented with a solution, which is that this lady predicted the assassination, and I could have stopped it if I'd kept talking to her. But don't you think that it also makes Nancy seem like a more reasonable person if she claims that, well, then Merv, who everyone loves, called me and said, you know, like, astrology's not bullshit, as opposed to having to admit I was so freaked out that I reached out to my old astrologer that I only had to drop because it was, like, kind of tacky. Well, she doesn't say that she dropped Joan because it was kind of tacky. She's actually totally positive about Joan. Like, Nancy Reagan's never anything but nice, like, when she Joan writes about Joan. Joan knows where the bodies are buried. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, Joan never, Joan never talks about the bodies being buried. Joan because just throws she got paid off to just take this money for this memoir. Look, you and invited go away. two pro Joan people. Well, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> no this, is, this is what I well, want because I can't be mad at somebody for like scamming Nancy Reagan because Nancy Reagan sucks so bad that like she. But it, but tell us more. Yes. If if there was only money at stake, I'm just I, saying, I wouldn't care. If it but, turns out that Joan was like Nancy Reagan, like the stars say, you should like pretend the AIDS crisis isn't happening. Like then I'll turn on Joan yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Not quite that, but <laughs> it does tie into I, the war on drugs. I think some of that is just Nancy Reagan. Yeah, that's yeah. Some of that's Nancy Reagan. I feel like I think she called Merv so that she could get Nancy because she knew that if Nancy heard from her, like she would like be like, oh, I could have stopped this. Mm-hmm. Like I, like that rings truer to me than Nancy Reagan calling Joan and being like, could you have predicted it and can you make everyone love me? I still believe Joan. I don't know. I know people who are very obsessed with their astrologers and it, I think sometimes yeah. true that they'll get sort of like not great readings and then mm-hmm. something scary happens and they reach out almost like a therapist. That is plausible too. Um, I just have trouble believing, number one, that the conversation immediately swung from can you stop my husband from dying to can you make America love me? No, I don't think, I think but, they're the same thing. Cause she's like, if my husband dies, I'm not first lady anymore. Mm. <laughs> so like, I both need my husband to stay alive and then to be the most, you know, cause she's an actress. She yeah. just wants yeah. to be playing the part of the, the first lady that everyone loves. Yeah, I guess part of it comes down to whether or not you believe... And she's a shitty actress, which is why... <laughs> well, and Ronald wasn't a great actor. Right, they were both not good actors, which is why they're not believable. I mean, in fairness, there were like two good actors back then. But, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, but they were the, the not good actors who snitched on people at the Blacklist trials, <laughs> yeah. so we knew would that you... we been knew they were bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. So, okay, so we're, we're co- you guys are coming down on... Joan was just responding to a legitimate job offer. And I'm thinking Joan was trying to, like, sneak her way back into the Reagan's life by taking advantage of an assassination attempt. So that's where we are right now. All right? So we'll see where everyone's opinions line up at the end of this story. So I should probably note right now, for the sake of completion, Joan does claim at another point in her memoir to have foreseen something terrible and not told Nancy Reagan about it. Uh, She claims that she predicted Nancy Reagan's cancer. Uh, and said nothing. Nancy's horoscope had indicated to me months in advance that she would develop breast cancer. I didn't want to alarm her by coming right out and telling her. I knew all too well what a warrior she was, so I did what I always do in such cases. I advised her to have monthly checkups and frequent mammograms certain that the doctors would discover it the minute it developed. Um, Which strikes me as a little bit of a dick move, but I don't know. Maybe that's astrologer standard practice, is to 
I mean, the odds of it of getting breast cancer if you're a woman are so high that it's a pretty safe bet to say at some point you'll get cancer. But I mean, if she told Nancy Reagan, I see that you're going to get cancer, what could Nancy Reagan have done other than exactly what she advised her to do? I mean, what can you do if you know you're about to get cancer other than see a doctor? Yeah. And I think this, again, may tie back to the fact that I don't think she foresaw any of this. And she's just claiming later after the fact to have foreseen someone's cancer to make her sound good. Which it doesn't is part make of her what... sound good, though. No, it makes her sound terrible. <laughs> it makes her sound like, terrible. Because there's no way to say, I knew you were going to get cancer, didn't tell you. But right. again, I'm not like surprised that the Reagans would take all their advice from like an amoral scammer, because that's what they are. Yes. And we'll... we'll... I mean, yeah, we're 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 in that already. Immoral California scammers. I also feel like they were coming from like California, where it's like 1980. Like, who doesn't have a personal astrologer? It's true. Well, yeah, which is part of the, the thing. Heyday. Like, they're like one. She's always got these. She's got all these pictures in the book where it'll be like someone, some senator or whatnot, and she'll be like, Senator such and such didn't have an issue with my astrology because he had an astrologer. That's what and I'm it's saying. Like, okay, if she had had like a like a priest on call or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, it same seems thing. like it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, but maybe more acceptable to Middle America if she's got a priest than if she's Middle America. Don't they love horoscopes? Yeah, who doesn't? Evangelicals might not. Yeah, and I would say the difference between a priest and a horoscope is that a priest, and I'm not into religion either, but a priest doesn't claim to be predicting the future for you. A priest can just be like, like the priests that most presidents talk to, they're not like being like, "Hey, what time should I take my plane off?" Or like, "Should I do this meeting?" They're like, "What does God say about bombing?" people in the Sudan or whatever and apparently God's fine with it but um yeah anyway we've uh we've gotten past the assassination attempt and Joan's prediction of Nancy Reagan's cancer uh so yeah after after the assassination attempt Joan you know gets the offer to become the astrologer for the Reagan White House uh and she decides to take it on uh she says that you know she knew that if she took the reagans on quote i would be giving up all my time and effort like those who take part in any administration sacrificing the rewards they command in the private sector in order to serve their country was she exclusive to the reagans no oh yeah. <laughs> no. no she's this is this is nonsense this right. was just one other client and she was paid extraordinarily well for do you know that. how much yeah do you know yeah three thousand dollars a month in 1980 which is today nine thousand dollars a month what? Who yeah. else were her clients? That's what I want to know. She doesn't go into much detail. Merv Griffin was definitely one of them, but she was like a lot of famous San Francisco socialites okay. and stuff, wealthy people. And this this is a big trend in the book is Joan bragging about how selfless she is for working for the Reagans. Uh, she claimed that Nancy begged her to take them on for free because the Reagans didn't have much money. <laughs> um, but they eventually settled on a sum, which again, Joan claims were basically poverty wages, but which was about nine grand a month in right. modern money, which is in my mind, a lot of money. Uh, She remarks regularly, like pretty much every chapter, uh, how heroic she is for taking just this pittance. Quote, I charged Nancy a monthly fixed fee because she needed much more of my time than she could afford. This was very generous on my part because I often worked longer than full time. For a while, when an emergency would arise, I was working as long as nine hours uninterrupted. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Yeah. And this is, I I guess, another call out to the Doritos people if they want to sponsor the podcast, but I will work nine hours uninterrupted on a a Doritos-themed monster podcast. We're trying to get the Doritos people to Doritos, come through. Yeah, I feel like they're the perfect chip for dictator based comedy. Uh, There's which no, is a lot I mean, of what we do here. Munchos might be in the running, but I think Doritos is more of like the, you know, mm-hmm. creme de la creme as you might say. Yeah, yeah, someone on Twitter came up with a great 
hashtag nachos not nazis which i i think nice. yeah yeah we can we can sell some doritos anyway back to the reagans uh so yeah n- in nancy's version of events which again nobody's credible here um which is why i'm i'm grateful to have y'all's perspective on the matter because I just wound up hating Joan in this book. <laughs> but you're right. Nancy Reagan does not deserve to be taken seriously or literally at her own word either. So Nancy claims that Joan became a crutch and something of a therapist, but nothing more. You know, she would call her when she was anxious about something or a meeting that Ronnie was going to have. And I can't not call him Ronnie now because I read that a thousand times. In <laughs> um, and I think that Nancy is lying about this. I don't think she's lying about using Joan as a therapist. That does not seem out of, out of the pale at all for right. me. But I do think think that Nancy's fibbing about Joan not having a big role in the administration because Donald Regan's account backs up Joan's claim that she was important and she was making major calls. Um, it is interesting to me that Nancy's only nice to Joan in her memoir. Uh, she says Joan was sweet and emotionally supportive and expresses admiration for how she handled the press when the story broke. It's interesting to me that Joan spends her whole book attacking Nancy Reagan and making her look like a monster uh, with quotes like, Nancy was almost totally innocent of history. I was often surprised by how little she knew about it. She was in no way an intellectual or deeply reflective, which I don't disagree with, but is not a nice way to refer to the person who's the only reason that you're noteworthy. Uh, Well, maybe she thinks it's not the only reason she's noteworthy. Yeah. It also is the difference between a politician and a psychic. Yeah. One's a plain dealer. Yeah. Yeah. And Joan makes a big point about how much Nancy Reagan hated Ely Wiesel, uh, the Holocaust survivor and author, uh, and what? He won, uh, was it a Nobel? I think. Yeah. She says that Nancy Reagan hated Ely Wiesel uh, because of uh, he made a big fuss when Ronald Reagan laid a wreath at a cemetery where Nazis are buried, which is a reasonable thing to be angry about if you're a Holocaust survivor. Uh, when Wiesel became vocal about it and sparked an outcry, Joan claims that Nancy said, he acts like he's crazy, it's his fault he's a fanatic. Uh, and after this point, Joan chimes in to say that she doesn't think Nancy was a racist in the most racist way possible. To be fair, Nancy was not a religious bigot. She liked her wealthy Jewish friends as well as her friends of other religions. Ooh. <laughs> oh, no. But is that a way to – no, it's just terrible. It's just, it's it's just, just terrible. Just, and that's one where I feel like Nancy's ob- – I'm sure Nancy's awful about this. Well, because, that, I mean, that's the thing is I'm like, is she just trying to, like, call attention to how awful Nancy is while still retaining – I don't think she recognizes it. No. I think she she legitimately – She may- probably doesn't know anyone that isn't an anti-Semite. Fair. So she's like, on or, a scale yeah. of anti-Semitism, <laughs> this was just – you know, we yeah. she just hated him, but – you know, her her wealthy Jewish friend, as long as you're rich. And yeah, and I don't think Joan Quigley ever talked to anyone who wasn't rich in that's her That's what I'm life. saying. Yeah. So she's never met a non-racist person in her life. Yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's telling that she doesn't consider the Reagans to be rich. Right. Because, like, they had a ranch in Santa Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> like, right, but they're not old money. Yeah, yeah, they're that's new. What she, yeah. That's the line for her, because she's, mm-hmm. you know, San Francisco old money, and I'm sure some East Coast people would be like, well, that's California that's, old Right, money. right. Yeah, yeah so, the yeah. Astors are really raking her over the coals, and they're all making fun of the Reagan. Being president is it's so good. It's the talk of the Junior League. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of the Junior League, I am pretty sure those wealthy Jewish families aren't allowed at the Cotillions. Yeah, I was going to say, they're yeah, definitely the, not no allowed in the Junior League. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, Joan Quigley claims her first big job was to make Nancy Reagan likable. 
Nancy was being pilloried by the press from the White House china she planned to buy to her expensive clothes. Her every movement was ridiculed and criticized. Every word she said brought more public disapproval. So Nancy was embarrassed at being a political liability and begged for Joan's help. I want everyone to love me, were Nancy's first words after I agreed to work with her on a professional basis. I had to smile. The words were so typical of a person with her kind of horoscope. <laughs> Dude, now I want now I'm gonna go home and look up like what Nancy Reagan's sign was, because based on that, what am I thinking? Scorpio? I'm gonna find out while, while yeah, we keep please. going. Okay. Research. This is important extra research that I didn't do because I'm a hack and a fraud. <laughs> uh yeah. So Joan claims that uh she asked Nancy what charities Nancy wanted to work for. Nancy kind of vaguely expressed an interest in drug rehabilitation programs and the foster grandparents program. And Joan claims that she's responsible for focusing Nancy Reagan. I told her that these two charities would be what she would be known for from now on, that she would talk about them whenever she granted interviews and make them her personal crusade. She must be a kind of ministering angel of mercy, a sort of supernational mother figure. I told her to set her staff to ferreting out appealing letters from children, for instance, and make a point of answering them. Or she could respond to some needy person, making sure at the same time that the story would be well publicized in the media. (laughs) Oh, man. <laughs> Which is such a rich person way right, to yeah. talk about some needy person. Like, what do you mean by needy? What was <laughs> like, the foster grandparents thing, too, it, I wonder? I mean, that sounds like, I, I guess it's a program to help, like, connect underprivileged kids to, like, older men and women who could be, like, So know. she really wanted to just focus on issues that you can put on a mug. Yeah, yeah she just yeah, wanted yeah. superficial things that she could be beloved for. And Joan Quigley was like, yes, but you can't be casual about it. If you're going to talk about drugs, you've got to be a drug warrior. You've right. got to be, like, lecturing the nation. And claims basically to be why Nancy Reagan became the face of the war on drugs during the 1980s. Uh, well, apparently Nancy was a cancer. That's what I just learned. Oh. Whew, that's for sure. Ronald was a Aquarius. The age of Aquarius. So I, I mean, the cancers. Is. Cancers are so they're water signs, and they're very. They do need a lot of approval, and they're very sensitive to being rejected. So they're two water signs together. What two does water that mean? signs together. Well, water signs are you know they're fluid. Like there's you know, I'm just now I'm speaking personally about the water signs I know, but they're kind of mercurial. Like their temperament can change on a dime. They have moods. They're moody people. Molly and I are earth signs. We don't fuck around with that. It's interesting <laughs> that you say that water signs are fluid because Nancy Reagan, the water sign, was a major factor in the escalation of the war on drugs, which is why so many people have to take piss tests to prove their sobriety. Whoa. Oh. Whoa. And while you're all reeling from that connection, we have to break for some more ads. Uh, so please pull out your credit cards and spend some money. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. We're back, and we're talking about Joan Quigley, history's greatest monster, or maybe not. We'll be deciding that by the end of this podcast. One way or the other, it fits into the Behind the Bastards theme. Either Joan Quigley's a bastard or Ronald Reagan She's the bastard, is a bastard behind, behind the bastards. Yeah, yeah. Which in a way makes her less of a bastard. I mean, it's no, like, it's no. She's, still, she's the power behind the throne and the throne is evil. So, I mean, the, the war on drugs thing I don't love right now. I mean, uh, Nancy Reagan is remembered for like. Just say no. Yeah. yeah. She's, you know, criminalizing all that stuff and right. also for being a horrible homophobe. Yeah. So super homophobic. And there's cuz Joan is very conservative. That comes across in this thing. So I like she doesn't say there's not a word about gay people in this. There's not a word about the AIDS wow. crisis in this. So I like I I can't say anything about that cuz Joan didn't consider it worth well, talking about. Well, that's what they did. Yeah, basically. and neither did the Reagans. And for if sure. you're an astrologer and you saw the AIDS crisis coming and did nothing, then I'm going to go ahead and say That's what I'm saying. <laughs> History's greatest yeah, yeah. monster. Yeah, yeah, she's a monster too. And again, if you're like taking all the credit for making yeah. Nancy Reagan the person she is, then like you're taking credit for a lot of garbage. Actually, yeah. I'll say this in Joan's defense. I don't think she could have predicted the AIDS crisis because that would have been doing the horoscopes of a bunch of low-income gay people and Joan Quigley did it. not work for poor she, people. But astrology, too, is seeing world trends. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can focus kind of an on an individual chart or you can focus on the planetary alignments. And, right. and she, she, throughout her book, she's very inconsistent about what astrology can do. Because sometimes she'll say, when something goes badly for Reagan, she'll say, like, the stars were just so fucked up with that thing that there was no way that anything anyone could have done could have affected Right, no it. intervention. But she'll also claim that, like, you can make anything successful yeah. if you pick the right time. That's so all. like, well, which is it, Joan? That's like, all new age bullshit. It's like, it's yeah. Fallible, except sometimes. Yeah, but in this case, nothing could be done. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of inconsistencies within it. But um, again, I don't have any issue with astrology until you start determining when the president speaks to national tragedies and stuff, at which point maybe stop. Do you guys think Alex Jones is the Joan Quigley of the Trump administration? Oh, shit. You know? (sighs) That's not a bad point. I saw him give a speech at the Republican National Convention, like outside of the main convention floor. I have never seen a human being get that red because he, he was yeah. screaming and yeah. like it was terrifying. But I feel like with Trump too, it's like he also like he cribbed so much from Reagan, and he also does so much based on what he sees on TV. Yeah, 
He's also the president who just watches TV all day. And, and he's like, superstitious. Yeah, he's, he's definitely, definitely superstitious. superstitious. And I'm, I'm sure they've got Alex Jones on a hotline. And I, I yeah. got to say, I'm glad that Trump does not have... One thing Ronald Reagan had is personal charisma. Like, if you ever talk to anyone, even people who didn't like him, who, who had a face-to-face conversations, he was very good. He was, he was, fu- he was good at charming people. Right. That's so weird because I never got that from him ever when you guys hung out when we hung out yeah with those times when y'all talked well, like yeah. Ronnie no. well there's like stories like Russia. when he got shot and he was like dying and being wheeled in for surgery like he like looked up at the surgeon and he said oh I sure hope you're a Republican and it's like like little folk like that's not funny Trump would is it I think it's endearing in the moment I don't think I don't know I mean look he's not as bad as Trump I think in, in terms no, of interpersonal totally, relationships I, mean, I think maybe. Trump I Reagan to me like his charisma is I don't know. I think it was more like the same thing with like George W. Bush, exactly. where it was like people were like, "Oh, his folksy charisma," and I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like, I don't see that. He just seems like an idiot. But I think Reagan was more like George Senior. You know, he right. he seemed like he was like an stately. old man who used being old to like fake convey stateliness well, and being yeah. rich. That's an aspect of it. Like, like one one thing, an that, old white man. It's hard to say how much of Trump's unpopularity is due to the media cycle and like if Trump had been president in 1981 would he be more popular because we just wouldn't have as much focus on it but Reagan no. was more popular than Trump right which I don't know like I mean it, imagine Reagan though that was I mean that's one of the things about you know making a very like vanilla joke of like I hope you're a Republican as yeah. opposed to like firing off some crazy ass tweets where you're just uh, so offensive I but mean, exactly I'm saying, well I guess it's more like if Reagan were president now, he'd be tweeting some crazy racist shit all the time. You I don't know think what I he mean? would because yeah. I think Cause he wouldn't be... know how to use Twitter because he's too old. I think he might be mutton dressed as lamb on Twitter. No. You know? But I'm saying he at least for sure was saying crazy racist homophobic shit behind closed doors. Behind closed doors. But, but I think that's the I mean, not that it makes it any better, but, but that it makes it easier to be ch- a charming person yeah. in, the fi- in the, you know. Unless that's like what people think is charming about you, which is obviously Donald Trump's voters are like, I love when he talks about politicians, he grabs them by the pussy. And that's what I like, you know. (laughs) But I do think there's different kinds of racism and they're all toxic. But like with Trump, you've got this more like I'm going to be like explicitly call people vermin. But news organizations are still like a racially charged incident, you know, like they still won't say he's being a racist, even though he's like using racist terms and saying racist things. People still are like, but he's the president. So we're going to treat it with like the import of like the president saying something. Right. Yeah. Uh, But it's all the same platforms the Republican Party has always had, which are like homophobia, racism, and, like, hating poor people. Well, and I think more to the point what you're getting at, which which is interesting in that it ties in here, is one of the things that has been so dangerous regarding the intersection of the press and this presidency is that we traditionally treat the presidency as this august position. There's, like, something special about the president, like, that there's a certain level of respect that you should have for the president. And that's obviously nonsense as it occurs to Donald Trump because he's just a, an asshole on Twitter. Well, it's right. nonsense in general, it, I it, think. It, it was nonsense then yeah. because this guy had a fucking astrologer telling his plane to circle in the sky <laughs> totally. when it, the, the, the stars weren't And right. all, like, yeah. the great presidents of history were, like, slave owners. So, like, yeah. Yeah. they were not 
keeping their racism secret either. No, or rampaging alcoholics. Yeah. Or too fat to get out of a bathtub. Like they're just or wooden they're teeth, just dudes. Which is just disgusting. Right. And I think the thing about Reagan was it was like we're casting a guy who looks like he should mm-hmm. be the president to play the president on television. Right. But he doesn't actually like know or care. Well, that's where the astrologer becomes an important. Well, that's piece where the, of the astrologer puzzle. becomes yeah. back in. Let's get back to Stand her. Let's get back to the will. astrologer. So, <laughs> when we were last talking about the astrology stuff, we were getting into the fact that, uh, yeah, Joan Quigley insisted that Nancy Reagan make drug policy be like her big thing, and of course, Nancy becomes the face of the Just Say No campaigns. Uh, you know, during the Reagan administration, the number of people behind bars for nonviolent drug offenses increased from like 50,000 to several hundred thousand, like 400,000 by 1997. Um, So yeah, Nancy Reagan wasn't making policy on that, but she was the face of it. And she had a, a, a significant role in setting public opinion. And some of that's on Nancy and some of that's on Joan Quigley. Um, Some of that's on Ronnie. Yeah. Most of it's on Ronnie. Because yeah. Joan and Nancy weren't making policy. Well, I feel but. like it's also, it's always like frowned upon for the president to like listen to his wife, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and make policy based on that. But obviously. Well, she gets her little pet projects. Right. Yeah. But. Like incarcerating drugs. Incarcerating exactly. everybody. Yeah. yeah. The homey things. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, in addition to urging Nancy to make anti-drug policy a cornerstone of her first ladyship, Joan insisted that Nancy avoid doing any interviews with fashion magazines. I think she mainly includes this part so she can t- t- take another shot at Nancy. Or another she, shot at Seventeen magazine. <laughs> she doesn't really mention a magazine by name. She's just like, screw magazines. <laughs> screw magazines. Poor people can afford yeah, those. Gotta watch TV. I only read gold. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, she says that not... Talking to fashion magazines was, quote, the hardest thing for her to give that up. She tried to wheedle me into letting her do it, but I was firm. Uh, Joan claims that the time she picked for Nancy to do her public appearances and her anti-drug speeches and stuff were as perfect as possible. She's very proud of this work and says it's the reason that Miss Reagan's reputation improved throughout her husband's time in office. Here's Joan again. Quite typically, when Nancy thanked me for turning her image around, I said, and it was something she was already aware of, Nancy, Joe Kennedy paid between $1 and $2 million in 1960 for what I have done for thousands in 1981. She claims Joe Kennedy had to pay publicists to make uh, Jackie O popular. Which oh, come on. Everybody would have loved Jackie O no matter what she did. She was fucking Jack Lino Nassus. Like, yeah. go, go to hell, Joan, quickly. Uh, and then she said to Nancy, really, you must admit it has been a present. And again, she was getting $9,000 a month in modern dollars. It's so hard because when you're paying for astrology, any number seems both ludicrous and completely sane. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, nine thousand. You, if you're, if someone's giving you nine thousand dollars for this, it seems easy to argue that that's a tiny amount. And you if know? they're saying I'm the only person who can give you this information, mm-hmm. right? Also, I mean, it. Joan Quigley does not sound like a feminist, but in a way, advising the first lady to not push her cause in fashion magazines is kind of a feminist stance. I mean, oh, you'll yeah. be taken way more seriously if you avoid that channel entirely. Like, I'm kind of behind that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not against that part. Um, but also, um, like, Nancy Reagan just wanted to be in fashion magazines. That's why she wanted to be first lady, so yeah. she could be on the cover of Vogue or whatever. And if she'd just been on the cover of Vogue and not been talking about drugs, yeah, maybe right. we'd be in a better place <laughs> as a country. should have stuck to... Stuck to fashion. Yeah. And more to the, I guess more to the point, what, what irks me is just like, I'm sure that to Joan Quigley, $9,000 a month was a pittance, but like that's just further makes me dislike her. Because right, it's like, yeah. like three families could have right, lived on right. what you but were also, getting just for this one job. If Doritos wants to pay us all to do astrology. Uh, <laughs> no. And you know, as horrible as Joan Quigley is, 
is as good as Cool Ranch Doritos taste after a hot day uh, not eating Doritos. Uh, okay, let's let's move back on. Can, um, we, can we co-opt this for our podcast? Oh, yeah. I'm just so now I like really want a Dorito. Well, if you, know, you guys get a Dorito sponsorship I just for gotta me, say, I'm going to be super angry. We're going to try our best. I interviewed an influencer and I was like, how do you get brands to sponsor you? And she was like, I just like at them. And I'm like, hey, sponsor me. And I was like, that works. And I was like, I'm going to start. Yeah, well, all shouting of you out brands all the time. Listening, to this should hashtag at Doritos and the podcast and try to try and to make this happen. And thanks the Reagans for putting us in this hell world where we all need to I be know. sponsored by brands <laughs> to uh, exist. Hell world? Don't you mean Nacho Tastic world? I mean a cool a cool ranch where the it is a, a cool ranch, a cool Santa Barbara ranch, <laughs> a cool ranch <laughs> where the Reagans. You brought it back there I brought before it back. I did. Yeah, I I salute you for that. Uh, so yeah, Joan claims that. Her advice made Nancy Reagan more popular. And it's hard to argue with that, at least in the fact that Nancy Reagan did get a lot more popular. She started with like a 57% approval rating after her first year, but rose to 71% by 1985. So whether or not it was Jones doing, Nancy Reagan was a lot more popular I mean, by Reagan's second Maybe she was term. right about not doing the fashion magazines too, because the fashion magazines would have just been a list of like what expensive things she was doing exactly. and wearing. But also it was the 80s. I thought that's all anybody wanted. No, I think, I mean, I think she's trying, I think Joan was trying to create the illusion of substance where right. she found none. Well, you know, the main way <laughs> that's to That's what Joan would say. Yeah, right? It's true. <laughs> the way to create the illusion of substance is to not talk that much. Mm-hmm. That's that... true. Or or to just appear, I mean, when she had Nancy kind of choose her projects and then mention those all the time, she's also kind of editing out anything else Nancy might want to say totally. that would go over way less well. She's mm-hmm. giving her talking points. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and Joan's work started with Nancy Reagan's image, but it did not end there. As the months and years went on, Nancy came to rely on Joan more and more. It's hard to say what influence her husband's worsening health had on this, but Joan's involvement in the Reagan administration became extensive. Here's a quote from Joan. I was responsible for timing all press conferences, most speeches, the State of the Union addresses, the takeoffs and landings of Air Force One. I picked the time of Ronald Reagan's debate with Carter and the two debates with Walter Mondale, all extended trips abroad, as well as the shorter trips and one-day excursions. In other words, Reagan did not leave the White House without Jones say so. She also helped the Reagans make major health decisions. Quote, I delayed President Reagan's first operation for cancer from July 10th, 1985 to July 13th and chose the time for Nancy's mastectomy. So she's got an unbelievable amount of influence. Uh, Did anyone think it was weird that they were having like press conferences at like 1225 or something, you know? They they did. Like there were, there were like that's one of the the quotes from earlier is people talking about like, it was weird the times they would yeah, set for yeah. things and nobody really knew exactly why but there would be myths why. like Nancy said this isn't a good yeah, time that seems like a like some smoking gun of that yeah that Joan was picking the times mm-hmm. that they were weird times no it's one of those things like it's definitely like no one who is at, who is close to the administration has refuted any of this like yeah. Nancy said it wasn't that big a deal it's true but Donald Regan's like no like <laughs> it was a thing <laughs> it sure was a thing uh, it's important that you understand Joan Quigley never claimed to be clairvoyant which is how Donald Regan described her uh, I don't think Donald Regan was an astrology guy she claims that a clairvoyant is a mystic or a psychic while Joan sees herself as basically a scientist and this is her view of astrology Uh, I base my astrological analysis on the data provided by astronomers and charts calculated by computers. My conclusions are based on this accurate scientific material in the same way your doctor supports his diagnosis by the laboratory reports or an economist bases his predictions on statistics. So, uh, Joan didn't have a computer of her own. This was the 80s. She would send a lot of the information that she was calculating off to third-party 
companies who had computers, which means that in addition to the unsecured phone call she was having with Nancy Reagan about the president's secret schedule, she was also sending off that information to strangers. Was she saying in her, was she like sending postcards basically saying the president wants to have Air Force One launching it, you know, to this place on this date at this time? All she says is that no one could have figured out what they were talking about based on the info she gave those people. But we're having to take her word from it. Right, right. Uh, so I'm just I'm just setting that up, that mm-hmm. there's a severe breach in the president's right. information security as a result of this, uh, this astrology Damn. Uh, thing that's going on. So Joan is a serious lady. She had nothing but contempt for astrologers who write for newspapers and magazines like she used to do when she was young and needed the money. Uh, she rages that there are at present no forced standards for astrologers and that unworthy people cannot be prevented from assuming what should be a respected title. Uh, so she's very angry about popular astrology, um, which is, you know, the astrology that people can afford if they can afford a newspaper. Uh, Miss Quigley spent a large chunk of her book trying to convince us that astrologers have been historically necessary in government. Uh, she points out that most great kings had astrologers, that Isaac Newton believed in astrology, that Einstein believed in astrology. So... Like, she spends a lot of her book trying to convince you that it's fine for an astrologer to be advising the president. Um, Now, in her view of the world, every achievement of the Reagan era and also every human achievement in general was made possible by the combination of the stars being in the right position. She credits the miracle of flight to the fact that Neptune and Pluto were together in the air sign of Gemini in the early 1900s. That's true. Um, Okay, good. (laughs) Good to know. Uh, I thought it was like... People f- oh yeah, everybody knows metal that. into the air and dying until they got it right. No, but, no. no it's good. To, that's magnets, good to know. And stars. planets, yeah, <laughs> stars. Um, I could go back and forth about like all the different things Joan believed. I wound up putting a lot more of that in the first draft of this that I trimmed out just because like let's, let's keep it to the Reagans. It is important you know that she claims to put in a huge amount of work to the charts that she was doing. So for example, exact birth times are necessary for good horoscopes. Since Ronald Reagan was born back in the olden times before people kept track of when babies were born, Joan had to rectify him, which is the term she uses for some reason for figuring out someone's birth time using backwards math. Uh, so she claims to have calculated both Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan's birth times. Did she down to tell the tell you how what backwards math is? Like I'm <laughs> I'm dying to know about backwards. I think it's a math. little bit of magic. Are you? I, I got that quote. When you don't know what time of day an individual was born, and for serious astrology the exact birth time is indispensable, you must figure it out from such clues as the known events of that person's past, their appearance, and psychological and physical characteristics not already explained by the other factors in their horoscope. Oh, it's not math at all. <laughs> no. No. no uh, she claims to know the exact minute Ronald Reagan. Oh, so Reagan it's and, like yeah. reverse. She's like, oh, he seems like he was born in around 1225. So exactly. Seems like an afternoon. Or, yeah. yeah. Seems, seems like a 413 She's using PM his personality baby. to be like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone who could have proved her wrong on this has been dead for decades because right. Ronald Reagan was born in like the teens. Yeah. You know? They uh, didn't have clocks then either, so. So we have to cut for some, uh, what are those things where people sell stuff and other people learn about products and services? Doritos. Doritos. We're having a Doritos break now. So you guys have a crunchtastic time listening to these ad taste ads. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. 
Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years and not just help them but do everything to make sure they not only grow but flourish that's why navy federal credit union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky high rates so don't hesitate start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options navy federal credit union our members are the mission savings products insured by ncua investment products are not insured not obligations of navy federal and may lose value me Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. So we were just talking about how Nancy Reagan figured out what she claimed to be Ronald Reagan's exact time of birth uh, and also Gorbachev's exact time of birth so she, that she could do their charts, which which comes up later. But uh, let's let's veer back right now and talk about the Challenger space shuttle disaster. Uh, I ran across some Twitter, unverified Twitter comments by people claiming that Ronald Reagan's astrologer had picked the time for the Challenger shuttle launch. I found no evidence of that. Uh, but Joan does claim that she's the reason the president ordered an investigation of NASA after the Challenger disaster. Uh, according to Joan, the president had Nancy ask her whether or not the stars said NASA should be investigated after seven astronauts died in an explosion, which, yes, regardless uh, yeah. of what the stars say, <laughs> someone should investigate. But yeah, Joan says that she analyzed the charts for the, the launch and the astronauts and, and said that there ought to be an investigation. The 12th House indicated that uh, sabotage at worst or at least inexcusable negligence uh, had been you know involved in the crash, which was obviously true because space shuttles aren't supposed to explode. Right. Um, that seems like a like a like an easy get for for. Where was Joan before the launch? She's so interested in right? in flight. <laughs> I know. Yeah, she, yeah. Well, get close to the stars. Yeah. It, she. It's weird that she didn't call that one right? ahead of time. Um, but 
She doesn't yeah. know when bad things are going to happen. She also she only knows that she could have predicted them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if she uh, if only I hadn't been doing. If only you gave me more money, I would have right. known. Yeah, that yeah. this would happen. Yeah. So yeah, she's the reason there was an investigation into NASA after this. Now, older listeners may remember that Ronald Reagan was known as the Teflon president because many, many scandals during his presidency didn't seem to stick to him up until, you know, the very end. Joan Quigley claims credit for this, too, in a chapter of her book titled Astrology Was the Teflon and the Teflon Presidency. Beautiful. Uh, it's, it's great. It's a work of art, really. Uh, here's Joan. For almost six years, the president dominated his press conferences, partly because he was well-prepared, and finally because the times I chose for his press conferences enabled him to appear at his best. She repeatedly insists that my control over the departure times of Air Force One when the president was aboard were absolute. Her most vivid story of sort of deflecting a scandal for the president came during the run-up of his trip to Germany in 1985. He was going to help shore up Helmut Kohl, the German prime minister, in a re-election campaign. Uh, uh, there was a big photo op uh, opportunity that was supposed to be important to the German public where the two men were going to go to a cemetery in Bitburg where they'd lay to rest a wreath commemorating the dead of World War II. It was a lovely gesture, but the president's team failed to account for the 49 dead Waffen-SS men buried there. Uh, this became a huge issue in America. Uh, I just talked about kind of Ili Wiesel was very angry about it. People marched in the streets. Israeli and American Jewish leaders were outraged, but Helmut Kohl insisted the visit was necessary, and most Germans seemed to agree. Ronnie needed to support Kohl because his re-election was critical to Reagan's Cold War strategy, something about where he wanted to put missiles. Uh, so bereft of good options, Ronald Reagan turned to Joan Quigley. She claims to have suggested that the administration basically make a visit to Bergen-Belsen concentration camp before going to Bitburg, and that they would publicize that a lot more. She also claimed that the timing on when they visited Bitburg was critical. So she picked an exact, like, minute, and, like, this is the minute that Air Force One has to land. Uh, and what mattered was not the context of the president's visit or that he was laying a wreath at a cemetery that included dead SS men. What mattered was that, astrologically, the right time was chosen. Jones' time didn't work out with the president's existing plan. They're supposed to have a picnic or something. So she canceled the picnic. And then she had the Air Force One fly around in circles for as long as it had to in order to land at Bitburg at her chosen time. Oof. So she just had the Air Force One just circling for hours, waiting for the right astrological time, burning jet fuel. How did the public receive this visit? They didn't did it know. Work? I don't no, think. It, it was actually a disaster. Oh, uh, yeah. No, there was, this is Michael Moore. One of the first times he shows up on TV is as a, at a crowd of protesters at Bitburg holding really? a sign. Yeah, yeah. But Helmut Kohl was reelected, and the controversy did eventually fade, which mm. Joan credits to the fact that she had Air Force One burn enough fuel that, uh, yeah, they were able to land at her specifically chosen astrological time. So, again, people noticed at the time that the Reagans had really weird timing issues because there were, like, White House correspondents that had worked with other presidents who didn't use astrologers. Joan notes that, like... Or who did, but their astrologers gave them, like, times, you know, on like the hour. normal people time. Yeah, because it's always, like, 20 minutes past the yeah. hour with Joan. because that's how you make it seem like it's a special time. Yeah, no, yeah. 1225. Yeah. yeah. I keep feel like we all keep saying 1225. Well, is, there's probably an astrological reason. reason. Yeah, it's when the seventh house is in the ninth house. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also Christmas. When the moon is in the seventh 1225. house. 1225. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When George Christmas See, was you born. should be an astrologer because you just did a whammy you know, on me. I was like, wow. I, I played at being an astrologer on uh, AOL Instant Messenger oh. when I was in like junior high and almost got to charging people money. And <laughs> oh. I was like, no, I can't do this. Well, dream, uh, you dream big. I know. You could be the it's presidential kind of worse. astrologer. I, you, not, not this president. But I'm saying, what if you did and then you like 
were able to bring it down, you know? Because if you have that much power, right, you could be like, you know. So you're saying I'm in the wrong field? Also, definitely or? Donald Trump reads everything on the teleprompter like an anchorman, you know? Mm-hmm. You could just get him to say anything. Yeah. So I'm just so saying. So maybe I should be the presidential astrologer. Yeah, as long as he doesn't listen to this podcast. If you can <laughs> yeah. get that job. Here right? plan. I know. Yeah. Um, there's a quote in Jones' book from Bill Plant of CBS, uh, which is fascinating to me. Because he was basically talking about how the White House correspondents would always wonder why the timing was so weird. We wondered if there was any strategy involved, and we were relieved to learn that the obvious reason was astrology, <laughs> which is they keep being quotes. It's like, why were you relieved at that? Like, what what, what was be, going on in the 80s? It could be something even weirder. Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Just pan- I mean, I would have just assumed panic attacks. Like, every time someone's late, I'm like, oh, it's a panic attack. Or I would have thought it was, like, to throw off the rhythm of the press corps or something. Just yeah. to, like, keep people on their toes. Yeah. Well, no, you make astrology. people wait. It's like a power move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Joan takes credit for being the Teflon in the Teflon presidency. She also takes credit for the being the only reason that Ronald Reagan stayed alive through his term. Quote, the fact that the cancer did not reoccur is due to the excellent time I chose astrologically. So she claims to have been the reason his cancer didn't come back. Chill. Which I would give to the doctor, but whatever. She also takes credit to the fact that Ronald Reagan was not assassinated during his time in office. Uh, While Reagan had times where he could have been assassinated, I was always able to protect him by warning him not to appear in public at vulnerable times. Now I'm angry at her for stopping Ronald Reagan from being assassinated. (laughs) Oh! Save your assassination wants for other more worthy people. It's, you know, there's a lot of people. I I got so into just hating her in the book that I was just angry at her for taking credit for everything. Yeah. But like... But again, it's like, yeah, the things she's taking credit for are like... Was that good? Yeah. Well, it's just, it's like she talks about like the invasion of Grenada and like there's no discussion about like whether it was morally right or like the, the people who died. It was all about like I had to make sure Pre- Air Force One landed at the right time when he gave his speech about like the Grenada invasion. <laughs> I was like, that's not the thing to be concerned about, Joan Quickly. Well, that's varsity league. She's in junior league. It's totally different. It's handle different <laughs> things, you know. It's very frustrating. So yeah, Joan takes credit for everything good that happened during the Reagan administration. The only mistake she admits to making is in picking the time for Reagan's first debate with Walter Mondale during his 1984 re-election campaign. Mondale is generally seen as winning that debate, but Joan actually kind of takes credit for this too. So when she was charting it, she put his son in a prominent position in the location chart for the time and place in the debate. I reason that he had so little charisma and personality that the son, normally indicative of these traits, would simply emphasize his deficit characteristics. Unfortunately, she claims that putting the son in that position in his chart in the time she picked actually made Mondale unstoppably powerful in the first debate, which is why Reagan lost. So that's good to know for Walter Mondale if he's if he's listening to this podcast. Maybe he had an even more powerful astrologer. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, who just died before the second debate. Yeah, <laughs> dueling she, wizards. Yeah, well, we're going to get to some dueling wizards in right. a little bit here. Well, maybe. Uh, she's also responsible for hiding President Reagan from the public during the days after his biggest scandal, Iran Gate, broke. For those of you who don't know, the Iran Contra scandal started in 1985 when a group called Hezbollah in Lebanon kidnapped seven Americans. Uh, America went to Iran and was like, hey, could you guys get Hezbollah to chill out for like, like, and give us these guys back? And if you do, we'll give you missiles, which you can use to shoot at Iraq. Iran and Iraq were at war at the time. We were also giving Iraq weapons so that they could shoot Iran. But President Reagan was like, why not arm both sides of the conflict and free some hostages at the same time? So we had Israel sell weapons to Iran, and then we paid back Israel in more weapons. And 
then there wound up being a bunch of extra cash left over after this. And a guy named Ali North was like, oh, you know, we've got all these far right wing rebels in Nicaragua fighting the socialist government there. And there's an act of Congress called the Boland Amendment that says we can't give the the Contras more money. But what if we just keep selling more missiles to Iran and give the money to the Contras now? And so anyway, that's what they did. And it's different from what gangs do because everyone wore suits. So that's the Iran-Contra scandal in a nutshell. The story broke in late 1986, and Americans got very angry that the president and his men had illegally funded a terrorist group linked to 1,200 attacks. Uh, Joan claimed that the stars were too bad for her to help with this scandal. Um, The major cosmic forces had so turned against Reagan that what I had been able to do earlier was impossible for me to do then. So she just advised Nancy Reagan to not have the president talk to anybody. And Donald Reagan criticizes her during this for limiting the president's exposure to the media and the public during this period. People were yelling basically for President Reagan to say something about this gigantic scandal, and he wouldn't say a word, which apparently all due to Joan Quigley saying, don't talk to anybody, which I don't know, maybe President Reagan would have made the choice to shut up no matter what, but I'm sure Joan telling him it was too dangerous for him to talk to the press about all these missiles he had sold people did not help matters. Um, So I think that goes in the Joan Quigley bad pile, if you're keeping track. But, but I mean, like, if he had said something, we don't know what he would have said. Sorry would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she knew him so well at that point that she knew that what he would say would be even worse than just nothing. Yeah, and the way Joan puts this is the media was crying out for press conferences, which in my opinion would have been disastrous to the president's interest and during which he would have been at a disadvantage. Which, again, she doesn't express any care for the nation's interests mm-hmm. or for the fact that an actual crime had been committed. It's just... This is bad for the president, right. and that's that's my only concern. And he's famous, and that reflects on me. Right. Yeah. Well, no one knew about her at this point in time. Right, but yeah. to her, she knew she was the power. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she didn't want it to, to go bad. She also claims to be responsible for beginning the end of the Cold War. Uh, yeah, no, that's a big one to take credit for. <laughs> yeah. I was heavily involved in what happened in the relations between the superpowers, changing Ronald Reagan's evil empire attitude so that when he went to Geneva, so that he went to Geneva prepared to meet a different kind of Russian leader and one he could convince of doing things our way. See, Joan claimed she did Gorbachev's chart and figured out his birth time and figured out that he and Ronald had the potential to be best friends and bring peace to the world. Best friends. Yeah, best friends. <laughs> Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev. You remember when they brought world peace? Yeah. yeah That's yeah. why we have world peace. It's so good right now. Yeah, it's great. That's why everything's um, perfect now. Yep. Yeah. So so Joan saw that there was the potential for an incredible collaboration between these two. She just had to cool Ronald Reagan's hot heart. Uh, so she incepted the idea of peace with the USSR into Ronald Reagan by bringing the idea up to Nancy Reagan. I'm going to read this verbatim because it's just just charming. Do me a favor, I told Nancy. Ronnie can be so charming and persuasive. Get him to exercise his super salesmanship ability on Gorbachev. Get him to sell arms reduction, democracy, human rights, and free enterprise to the Secretary General. (laughs) She added, It only makes sense for both sides to agree to reduce the grandiose military expenditures that are causing the national debt to rise in the USA and the Soviets an abysmal standard of living. Ronnie will be able to reason with Gorbachev and convince him of doing things our way. You know, freedom and free enterprise. (laughs) Which is... Yeah, wait, am I siding with Joan because she wants to curb military spending? I mean, it's hard. It's just the way she phrases it. It's a goof. Just get him to sell arms reduction. It's easy. It's easy. I like how she says it like it's a horoscope, though. Yeah, yeah. She's like, don't go on a trip tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with, like, I mean, 
that's obviously it's the not only what good happens. policy thing yeah. she said so far. Yeah, and it's I not mean, that good. It's just like better than that in the fashion magazine. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 not bad. I I have trouble believing that that's what convinced Ronald Reagan to like oh, deal with Gorbachev. Do you find it? Do you find it difficult? <laughs> uh, you know, freedom and free enterprise. You have to give her the the wins along with the losses. You're, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's fair. Uh, so Joan wound up had a, there was a big secret meeting in Reykjavik between Gorbachev and Reagan. It was a big deal because you know the fucking cold. This is like Red Dawn years. So the fact that they were actually sitting down and talking was a big deal. Um, Joan did this in spite of the fact that she had no idea where Reykjavik was. Uh, Nancy mentioned their meeting to her and asked if the president should go. And, and Joan's first question was, "Where on earth is Reykjavik and how do you spell it?" Ha. Which maybe ought to be like your your sign that you shouldn't be weighing in on this <laughs> but <laughs> to be fair what's that j doing in there it's true it's a confusing ass j and the y is a little weird too yeah um but uh jones still did the work and while the reykjavik meeting didn't end with anything conclusive because president reagan wasn't willing to give up his star wars missile defense plan it was a big step towards thawing in the cold war and it led eventually to the signing of the intermediate range nuclear forces treaty or the INF Treaty. This treaty basically pulled a lot of short-range nukes out of Europe and led to the elimination of something like 2,600 missiles, which, regardless of your politics, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. 2,600 less nukes in the world because of this treaty. Uh, So negotiations for the INF actually had been ongoing through back channels and shit since, like, 1981, but by 1987, Gorbachev was ready to fly over to America and sign the treaty. The decision for when and where to host the meeting, of course, was Jones. So she plotted everything out and sent her recommendations. The Russians agreed at first, but then they kept switching around the times and changing their plans, often at the last minute, until the dates for the summit and the times for the signing were fixed at, according to Joan, close to the worst possible astrological time to do it. Oh, shit. This is probably not a coincidence. In fact, it was almost certainly the result of a great untold duel between a U.S. astrologer and the Soviet Union. Uh, Nancy had been using Joan for years at that point, informing her about secret meetings with the Soviet premier months before they actually happened. There was zero informational security in this meeting. So not only is Joan sending off information about this to random computer people to have it computed, but like they're talking on an unsecured line. They did sometimes talk through the White House switchboard. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to quote from Joan's recollection here. Nancy always chided me for refusing to leave my full name and number with the switchboard. I told her it made me uneasy. I told her operators talked. She said I was silly to worry about something like that. I know, she said, all White House operators are secretive and reliable. Nancy told me she would give me an assumed name so that I could always get through to her through the White House switchboard. She would choose the assumed name for me and put it on a list. This would automatically give me access. The name she chose was Joan Frisco. (laughs) Joan was from San Francisco so Frisco. <laughs> Joan is convinced that their conversations were intercepted by the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union changed the times of the treaty meeting in order to favor themselves and hurt Ronald Reagan as much as possible, which very well may be what happened. Now, astrology was illegal in the Soviet Union. Really? Yeah, well, they were, they, I mean, religion was illegal. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're not big on, on superstition in the Soviet Union. Right. So I, I mean, think they are, which is why it has to be banned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you forget and, astrology science. Well, I was saying maybe Rasputin was still alive. Well, and, I think it does uh, tie back to Rasputin. You know. Yeah. I think that's probably a big part of why it was illegal. For sure. Yeah. Um, so it seems like one of the two, either the Soviets found an astrologer they hadn't imprisoned and had that person pick the worst times, or they just made sure to always fuck with the timing. Right. Once the Reagan said it, because they knew that it would upset him that he wasn't doing the, I think that's what happened. Yeah. But. It's funner to think of it as like a I could sell a screenplay on an astrology duel between yeah, the Soviet definitely. Union and the United States. So if there's any producers on or if Doritos wants to 
back. Uh, the first Doritos feature film about Dorito. dueling psychics. Oh, Doritos yeah. original content? Yes. Yeah. My favorite streaming platform. <laughs> this is this is going to make us a lot of money. I'm so excited. Okay. 9000 uh, a month, you think? I hope so. I'm yeah. Aiming. yeah. I mean, that would just be a pittance, but I'll take it. I'll, 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 I'll do that work on You'll her. do yeah. that, Rito. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. Watch out. We're going to take your sponsorship. No, you're so much better at this <laughs> than me. Yeah, so Joan Joan blames the information leaking on Nancy's cunning ruse, calling her Joan Frisco. I think it's just as likely that it happened because she was they were talking on home phone lines or she was sending stuff off to computer people. Either way, clearly wasn't a secure situation. <laughs> Joan found the best time of day to do the signing, even with all of the Soviet fuckery, and she warned Nancy Reagan that since they weren't signing on a great day, she had to be super careful to use the exact time that Joan suggested for the day that they did sign it. But Nancy messed up, and they signed like 20 minutes later. Joan suggests this is because Nancy had just had cancer surgery, you know, from the cancer that Joan claimed she foresaw but didn't warn Nancy about, uh, and then adds, under such circumstances, she can't be blamed for not arranging the signing with her usual foresight and precision, which is nice. It's the, the only break she gives Nancy Reagan in her <laughs> whole book. Um, so the INF Treaty is probably one of the most inar- inarguable accomplishments of the Reagan era. Thousands of nuclear weapons were destroyed. Both sides were allowed to send advisors over to inspect the process. The whole world was made a little bit safer by the implementation of this treaty. Here's what Jones said about it. The execution of the INF treaty signing time was flawed. The exact time I had asked for would have had the effect of filling up a teacup nearly to the brim at the same time ensuring that the teacup would not fill up too fast or spill over. Then Joan mixes the shit out of her metaphors. What we now had in effect was a car whose brakes had failed, speeding <laughs> checked through crowded intersections. <laughs> Just a classic filled teacup car speeding through an intersection. (laughs) So Joan claimed that either the treaty was going to end disastrously for the world, because she wrote this in 1990 before all the effects. Either the treaty was going to end a disaster or it was going to be like a thoroughbred racing unchallenged towards the finish line. Sounds awesome. She only hedges her bets when she's talking about the future. Uh, Whenever she talks about a prediction she made in the past, it was always very clear to her. But Joan's not consistent is what I'm saying here. Um, so yeah, uh, to this day, I don't know how safe that treaty is for us or the world. I haven't had the heart to progress that signing chart as I did the other. <laughs> it was fine. I haven't had the heart, and also they're not paying me anymore. Yeah, yeah they're not paying me anymore. So yeah, Joan Quigley wasn't sure that the INF treaty was a good idea, but she's damn sure that Nancy Reagan is a monster. At times she writes about Nancy Reagan like Nancy was a vampire, basically. I'm I mean, need... is she wrong? Again. <sighs> I guess not. No, she's not wrong. Two people can both be monsters. Yeah, two and... people can both be monsters. She she claims that Nancy grew stronger as Ronald Reagan grew weaker, as if she was like feeding off of Ronald's essence. And Again, stuff. Like, you know, like, like a vampire. Maybe she know she was close to Nancy. Yeah. When I say she knows where the bodies yeah. are buried, I mean she it's was because clo- she's a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess, like to me, I get frustrated because I'm like. Even if you're within an awful administration, you got to be loyal to the people who are the only reason that you're noteworthy. Right. And like Nancy Reagan is the reason you got it brought into this. She was very nice to you in her shitty memoirs. You should be not a monster to her in yeah, your but, shitty memoirs. But again, but the astrologer's job is to tell the truth, and that's the politician's right. job is to you know try and make everybody happy. And that's that's fair because certainly Nancy Reagan doesn't deserve 
any equivocating here. That's any, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's be real about Nancy Reagan. She's polite but bad. See, I get too drawn awful. in when I read someone's terrible memoirs. Yeah, and I, know. I I don't I don't hate Nancy Reagan as much as I ought to because her memoirs are better written. Probably because yeah. she had more money for a good ghostwriter. Ah, uh, that's why. Yeah. So I don't want to defend Nancy Reagan anymore. I do want to make it clear that Joan Quigley was terrible at predicting the future. Yes. Because while she usually equivocated between, you know, two points and would say like, oh, the treaty is either going to be a disaster or fine to kind of like, sometimes she did make specific predictions in her memoirs about things that were going to happen in the future. And they are all wrong. Here's one. Aiding the Contras wasn't popular in many circles. History will one day prove that Ronald Reagan was strategically correct. The uh, Contras signed a peace treaty with the government in 1987. The leader they were fighting, Ortega, is still in charge in Nicaragua. Uh, Joan Quigley said that if this remained the case, all of Latin America would fall to communism. Still waiting on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also includes the text of a letter she sent to Ronald Reagan saying that the development of SDI, the Star Wars Strategic Defense Initiative, was a brilliant strategy. So she said he would go down in history with Lincoln and Roosevelt as the best American presidents. But he would be known as the greatest of America's presidents. No. Because while Lincoln just solved slavery and Roosevelt just solved World War II, Ronald Reagan would, quote, bring peace to the world. Oh, man, what if if only she'd been right? Yeah, well, she wasn't right about any of that because the Strategic Defense Initiative was scrapped in 1993 for being expensive nonsense. World peace still has not happened. Yeah, but also Trump brought up the Star Wars thing like yesterday. So it definitely made an impression on him. Yeah, yeah. So she did conduct the course of history. Yeah. Well. In a way, she was a charlatan. But she was working for charlatans. Yeah. So if in she'd a way, been working for the good guys, she probably would have done good guy stuff. I mean, just anything to advance her own interests, right? Yeah. She just seems like a self-interested person. Yeah. I, that's she's definitely a self-interested person. Most of my distaste for her comes from I feel like she was taking advantage of a scared lady whose husband had just gotten shot. Yeah, but who cares if it's Nancy Reagan? Yeah, it's you not, take she's advantage. not just a scared lady. Yeah, come I mean, on. maybe that's why Nancy got so bad. No, no. she was a bad person. <laughs> she was bad. She was bad. <laughs> she was bad. She... I mean, I think like a lot of it probably comes from the fact too that if you don't view astrology as any in any way legitimate, which I'm barely saying I even I do. By the way, uh, Rob is an Aries, not a Pisces, just to make that clear. But he is on the <laughs> cusp, so I wasn't that far off. But, uh, I mean, I think it's easy to, to see people who do believe in astrology or who charge to make astrological predictions as manipulative. And But, I mean, they're different than clairvoyance. It's true because they're actually looking at something that they believe they can Yeah, they're interpret. looking at math and they're trying to apply logic to an insane world to make people comforted by the idea that there's like a structure and a flow to things and that you can predict what it'll be. I think they believe in their own abilities. Well, yeah. And see, this is where one of the things that I question is whether or not, um, because Joan isn't entirely consistent, number one, in her claims about what astrology can do, because there'll be times when she was like, there's nothing that could have changed the outcome of this. And there's other times where she's like, you can guarantee the success of any endeavor if you do this and this and this. Um, She's a scammer, but she wasn't like giving the advice she was giving them was mostly about what time to do the bad things they were going to do as opposed to being like, do what this bad, bad thing. Yeah. yeah, They were like, when you make the announcement about the horrible thing you're doing, do it at 1225. The only thing she claims that she was specifically giving advice that went beyond timing is um, for war Nancy Reagan's war on drug stuff. Yeah, and- I mean, 
I think you've yeah. done a great job of convincing me again that Nancy Reagan is one of history's <laughs> greatest, greatest monsters. Yep. It, should, we're getting behind a bastard here, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, but, I think also she really used the fact that she was like, you know, the first lady to hide the fact that she was a horrible person and uh, should be remembered as such. And, if, and just because she was insecure doesn't mean that she didn't, I mean, everything she did. Yeah, had the Reagan's effect. legacy has benefited so much from nostalgia with conservatives that yeah. they yeah. look back on it as like the last great time. They were so, all on coke at that time, too. For that sure. And also, you know, people were maybe like not so cogent mm-hmm. during points of the presidency and somebody, maybe it was Oliver North, you know, some somebody was in their ear being like, do this horrible thing and they were saying yes so you know you still have the you're the president you can say like no i don't want to yeah so i don't think we should uh put too much on the people that influenced the reagans i think we should really just lay the blame at the feet of the reagans for being such assholes well there's definitely a lot of blame to go around for the reagans i guess my i don't think joan was the i don't think she's the one to blame i think if we're gonna blame anyone let's blame oliver north I think she gets some blame, though. Because I, I think, number one... Just for the war on drugs? Not just for the war on drugs. I, I still think that Nancy's recollection of how Joan came back into her life rings truer to me than Joan's does. And I think saying. Joan was taking advantage of, of that. And I also think, I think Joan knew that her st- she was not as... I, I think... She, whether and I think she be, must have believed in astrology to some extent, obviously. Yeah. But I think she knew that it was not as cut and dry and clear cut as she claims in her book. And I think getting involved in global geopolitics to the extent that she did with no qualifications. Yeah, but again, is, that's what the Reagans did. That's uh, that's a good point. You know, the, I mean, well, especially he, Nancy. He, he definitely for Nancy, he'd been a governor at that point. But he, he wasn't more, a good governor, and he got cast no. in the role because he was like someone. You know, he was like Trump. He was somebody that really evil people were like. This guy will make a good face for our mm-hmm. evil white supremacist and he seemed able to be manipulated and he was able to be manipulated which made him a good you know and i think people do kind of use the excuse of like oh maybe he was senile and there's rumors he had alzheimer's at a certain point in the presidency he definitely did but again it's like he still thought it was a good idea to be president he wasn't like hey maybe i'm not the most qualified person he like let all those people gas him up to To be be fair if you have alzheimer's or you're senile you're not going to be able you can't be held accountable for your decisions even if they're terrible right but i'm saying i don't think he had alzheimer's when he became governor i think he had ambitions but you know if your ambitions are like i'll do whatever it takes to stay in power and get into power you probably shouldn't be in power I, I don't disagree with that when it comes to Ronald Reagan or for Nancy, but I don't think that the fact that a number of unqualified people got into national leadership excuses what Joan did either. But I don't, I don't, I just think if you're scamming the Reagans, like the Reagans deserve to be scammed, you know? And when I add it up, it's like she, she's mostly culpable for like, being a bad friend yeah as opposed she's to definitely really, a bad friend. she's a bad friend and you're not really super. someone's friend if they're paying you to be their friend but it's like compared to Infowars, for instance i yeah. mean when you when you think about the statements she was actually making and, and the way that she was wielding the power that she yeah. had she could have been so much worse she could have been so much worse she was saying what time to land 
the plane. She wasn't saying like everybody yeah. who you think is like a child in a cage is an actor. You right. Know? That's that's true. And like that person is in the ear but I, of I'll, Donald Trump and he believes that stuff yeah. even though he's making the policy, which yeah. is like more insane. Well, I will say though, if you start comparing people from anyone from the Reagan administration to anyone from today's administration, but all just, of the people from back then are going to look better. But like no, what did she do? But just, what did she do that was so bad? Right. Just because the gloves are the off. On dr- they were doing the same shit. It's just... Nancy was going to choose a bad policy yeah. to get behind. And I think that Joan was correct in saying that the war on drugs was a way to play the public and to create a cause and a, and fabricate a solution that wouldn't be effective but would have the illusion of being this really incredible, like, we're all going to be so happy this was passed. But what if Nancy Reagan, what if she was like, all right, choose like A, B, C, and everything was even worse. But what if Nancy had just done a bunch of fashion magazine interviews and nobody, she'd never gone on... Well, that's stupid. Stupid though. Why should she? Just because she's the first lady. Because I think that what Joan was saying is that people need to take you seriously. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the the gravitas to be able to make people like you because they're just going to think you're frothy. And also because you're a bad person who has no substance. And you're just like a homophobic horrible socialite but yeah isn't it bad to tell someone who has no substance and horrible opinions on things to make their opinions count by becoming a no, serious she force already in politics because she was first lady. lady yeah but she just wanted to talk about fashion yeah. well that wouldn't have ever made her popular Part of being first lady is to talk about fashion and also pretend to care about some pet right. issue it's like being a socialite on a super scale so it makes sense that a socialite would have the best advice on how to be like a socialite. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess this 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 is not something we're going to settle to either of our uh, anyone's mutual agreement. No. I I think she took advantage of Nancy Reagan in a moment of weakness and lied about having predicted her husband's assassination. Y'all are on a different side of that and think that Nancy probably just called her up. Nancy like, definitely no, called Nancy her Reagan. up. Yeah. I was going to say, I think <laughs> yeah. our side, our, our platform is, is fuck Nancy Reagan. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with fuck Nancy Reagan. And fuck Ronald Reagan. But I add yeah. fuck, fuck Joan all. Quigley to that. Fuck all the Reagans. Nah, Joan gets off scot-free. We're pro-Jones. We're pro-Jones. Well, you, the listeners at home, will have to decide for yourselves who you think the bastards in this story were. But I think we can all agree... There were a lot of bastards yeah, everyone's talked complicit. about today. And Donald Regan, by the way, is also kind of a dick, but we'll get into that. Yeah, I think at we should time. be the people whose names we don't know yet. Yeah. yeah. Those are the real yeah, we didn't ones even, to watch I mean, out for. Ollie North should take a lot more flack. But that's, that's what that's I'm another saying. Episode. If we're going to blame someone for the Reagans, that's not the Reagans. It ain't the psychic. It's not the psychic. Yeah. I mean, but she's not She's not a psychic. Okay, she's an astrologer. She's an astrologer. She's it's a, a science. Pl- a planetary scientist. <sighs> Maybe the stars. Maybe the stars were misaligned, and that's why they were all such terrible people. Yeah, because she's definitely just the way she writes things. I'm not saying she's she's likable. I'm just saying she's not as bad as the Reagans. And maybe I, maybe I'm not saying she's as bad as the Reagans. I am saying she's history's greatest monster. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this has been enlightening, and I'm glad y'all had a different opinion. On, on all of this than me because uh, it's hard for me to have much perspective after 300 pages of the 12th house and the 7th By the way, I should I want to add one last thing. So the end of Joan Quigley's book is just a bunch of stuff on how astrology works in politics. And so she talks about all the different houses, which I don't understand what any of that means. But there's like the 12th house in politics is apparently all the poor people. 
but also journalists and saboteurs and like like she Everyone she lumps she doesn't like. poor yeah. people, the homeless, drug addicts, and journalists so in the same house. A lot it like Nancy right Reagan. Reagan. Yeah. No, she Come was on. the right astrologer yeah. for the Reagans <laughs> That's for sure. That's what I'm saying. Um, anyway, uh, you guys want to plug your pluggables? Yeah, sure. Come listen to Night Call. It's on the Audio Boom Network of podcasts. And if you have a question, a comment, an astrological prediction, you can give us a call at 24046-NIGHT. You can also text us at the same number. Or you can email us at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and we can do like some cross coverage. If you've got thoughts about the Reagans and astrology, yeah. please send them to Nightcall and we will talk about them there too. Mm-hmm. Thank and you so much for having thank us Thank you on. so much. This is so really fun. fun. Thank you guys for being on. Uh, you listeners at home, if you have an opinion over whether or not Joan Quigley is history's greatest monster or if I'm being too hard on her, uh, drop us a line at, uh, at BastardsPod on Twitter and either yell at me or agree with me, uh, whichever is your preference. Uh, you can also find us on the internet at BehindTheBastards.com. We'll have some pictures up there. Joan Quigley commissioned a drawing of like a presidential seal with astrological symbols on it that's mm-hmm. super kooky. We'll get a picture of that for you. So yeah, uh, I'm Robert Evans. You can find me on Twitter at IWriteOK. Please check us out. We're back every Tuesday. So next Tuesday, we will be talking about someone probably with millions of deaths on their hands. I was going to say, when are you going to get to some Freemasons? Yeah. They're all Freemasons. (laughs) All right. uh, This has been Behind the Bastards. I have been Robert Evans, uh, and I love like 40% of you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.